turn our Bibles to Daniel chapter 9. Daniel chapter number 9. We'll read verses number 1 through number 19. Daniel chapter 9, beginning with verses number 1 through 19. I would ask that you would stand in honor and reverence to God's holy word. first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent of Mede, who was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. I prayed to the Lord my God and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. We have sinned and done wrong acted wickedly and rebelled. Turning aside from your commandments and rules, we have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. To you, O Lord, belongs righteousness, but to us open shame as, as, as at this day to the men of Judah to the inhabitants of Jerusalem and to all Israel those who are near and those who are far away and all the lands to which you have driven them because of the treachery that they have committed against you to us O Lord belongs open shame to our kings, to our princes, and to our fathers because we have sinned against you. To the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness for we have rebelled against him and have not obeyed the voice of the Lord our God by walking in his laws which he set before us by his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned aside, refusing to obey your voice. And the curse and oath that are written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out upon us because we have sinned against him. 
He has confirmed his words, which he spoke against us and against our rulers who ruled us by bringing up on us a great calamity. For under the whole heaven there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. As it is written in the law of Moses, all this calamity has come upon us. Yet we have not entreated the favor of the Lord our God, turning from iniquities and gaining insight by your truth. Therefore the Lord has kept ready the calamity and brought it upon us. For the Lord our God is righteous in all the works that he has done. And we have not obeyed his voice. And now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of the land of Egypt with a mighty hand, and have made a name for yourself as this day, we have sinned. We have done wickedly. O Lord, according to you, all your righteous acts, let your anger and your wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem, your holy hill, because for our sins and for the iniquities of our fathers, Jerusalem and your people have become a byword among all who are around us. Now, therefore, O oh God, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O oh Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. O oh my God, Incline your ear and hear. Open your eyes and see our desolation in the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of our righteousness, but because of your great mercy. O oh Lord, hear. O oh Lord, forgive. O oh Lord, pay attention and act. Delay not for your own sake. O oh my God. Because your city and your people are called by your name. The word of the Lord. May have your seat. Have mercy, O oh God. The 17th century Puritan preacher, John Owen, said these words. What an individual is in secret on his knees before God that he is and no more. What an individual is in secret on his knees before God that he is and no more. Like many of you, when I read that quote, all I could say is mm. It is a convicting truth. If we were honest with each other, we would all admit that prayer is a regular struggle. But we see in Daniel a man of prayer. He was such a man of prayer that it got him in trouble with the government. If, if we remember, the king put out a decree that no one could make a request of any man or God except to the king. The penalty being, if you break the law, that you will be thrown into a den of lions. 
The Bible says that when Daniel learned of this decree, he went up into his window, turned towards Jerusalem, and prayed as was his habit. Prayer got Daniel into some good trouble. Daniel was a man of prayer. And Daniel teaches us some principles and some truths about prayer here in this first half of Daniel chapter 9. Look with me first of all at what prompted Daniel to pray. Let's look together at what prompted Daniel to pray. Our text tells us in verse 2 that Daniel perceived in the books the number of years that according to the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet must pass before the end of desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. What clearly we see here in verse number two is what motivated, what energized Daniel to pray was nothing other than the word of God. It says that he read from the word of the Lord to Jeremiah the prophet. Daniel here clearly believes that what the prophets say are the very words of God, that they are divinely inspired and inerrant and infallible. Daniel likely read a couple of passages in the book of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 25, verse number 11 says, this whole land shall become a ruin and a waste. And these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation to the land of the Chaldeans for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. Then more than likely he turned to chapter 29 of Jeremiah, beginning with verse number 10, which said, for thus says the Lord, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from, when, from which I sent you into exile. Daniel read the word of the Lord to Jeremiah. And that moved him to pray. Daniel clearly believed the promises of God. And it was on the basis of these promises that, that Daniel prayed this prayer. I think there is a lesson for us to learn, people of God. When we pray, we ought to pray based on the revealed promises of God. The best prayers are those that ask God to keep his word. The best prayers are those that ask God to come through on his promises. 
When scriptures, what scripture says is what God says, and what God says happens. When God makes a promise, it will come to pass just as he said it would. And beloved, as we reflect on this point, we should ask ourselves a couple of questions. First, do I struggle to pray as I ought? because I do not know scripture as I should. Another question we ought to ask ourselves is, do I fail to pray well because I do not soak myself in his word? One commentator said, only as we deepen our understanding of God as revealed in the Bible will our praying become richer and more soundly based on who God is. So what prompts Daniel to pray is the revealed word of God. And he prays scripture back to God. So that's what prompted Daniel to pray. Let's look now at the pattern of Daniel's prayer. Let's look at the pattern of Daniel's prayer. If we look at verse 4, we get into the actual content of Daniel's prayer. And there are three particular movements of Daniel's prayer. Adoration, confession, and petition. Let's look at each one of these. Individually. First of all, let's look at the adoration or the acknowledgement of God's, God's character. Look, look, if you look at verse number four, he, he petitions God, he opens this prayer by acknowledging God as the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with those who love him and keep his commandments. If you skip down to verse 7, he then acknowledges the Lord as to you, O Lord, belongs righteousness. Verse 9, to the Lord our God belong mercy and forgiveness. Daniel clearly begins and continues his prayer by acknowledging the character and attributes of God. First attribute of God that he acknowledges is the greatness and awesomeness of God. And beloved, I think we ought to stop for a moment and remember when we pray that God is great. we, we, We need to remember that God is great. He is the God who created the world out of nothing. He is the God who hung the stars in the heavens and assigned the seas in their boundaries. He is the God who parts red seas. He is the God who when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were put in a fiery furnace, he got into the fire with them and protected them and delivered them from the fire. Beloved, all I'm trying to tell you is that our God is great. And and the reason I bring this up is because when we fail to forget the greatness, when we fail to remember the greatness of, of God, our prayers become too small. If we believed in a really great God, we would pray great prayers. Uh Uh-huh, uh-huh. Consider your prayers, child of God. Do you pray and expect 
uh, great and mighty works of God in your life and in the life of the church? Do, do you pray and expect miraculous healings? Ah, do you pray and expect an end to even this pandemic? Do you pray and expect the outpouring of God's spirit and power in our church? Daniel remembers that God is great. And that's what moves him to pray. He not only remembers the greatness of God, but Daniel also acknowledges the grace of God. Let me show it to you. Verse 4 says that he serves a God who also keeps covenant and steadfast love. That word, the, the Hebrew word for steadfast love is chesed, H-E-S-E-D. It means loyal love, covenant love, unending love, unconditional love. It's another word for the grace of God. And we must remember that our God is a gracious God when we pray because oftentimes we're ashamed and afraid to come to God because of the guilt we feel over our sins. We, we oftentimes forget the grace of God and think we are too broken to be made whole. As we feel the weight of our sin, we think there is no way God could ever use us or ever forgive our sin. But beloved, we must remember that we serve a God that is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. Daniel teaches us, beloved, that the solution to sin is not to ignore it, but to remember God's grace and to confess our sin before him, throwing ourselves on his abundant mercy. Daniel also in this text acknowledges the righteousness of God. Our God is righteous. He does what is consistent with his moral conduct, with his moral uh, standard. He acts in according with, accordance with his character. And Daniel recognizes this attribute of God even as he and his people are in exile. Exile, the place where it feels like God has forgotten you. Exile, the place where it feels like God is no longer with you. Oftentimes, we are tempted to think that we don't deserve what is happening to us. People often wonder, how can a good God allow bad things to happen to people he supposedly loves? How can you love me and punish me? How can you love me and hurt me? Daniel reminds us that God is righteous. And because God is righteous, that requires that he deals with the sin of his people and also stay true to his word. It was because of the sin of the people and their rebellion against God that they were in exile. And because of their sin, they received from the hand of God exactly what they deserved. 
Beloved, if God had not punished them, then he would have been a liar. Because in his word, if you go back to Deuteronomy, the, the, the last couple of chapters, in there after the giving of the retelling of the covenant, he's, he outlines for them, you obey my commands, you'll, you'll be under my blessing. But if you disobey and, and if you are unfaithful to the covenant, you will be cursed. If God would not have cursed them for not keeping the covenant, he would have been a liar. So Daniel makes it very clear here in Daniel chapter 9 that them being in exile is them receiving exactly what they deserve because of covenant unfaithfulness. He acknowledges the character of God. But then he moves from the acknowledgement of God's character to the admission of sin. When we acknowledge the greatness, grace, love, and righteousness of God, then we can see ourselves for who we really are. Thank you for the amens. You won't give me any more. <laughs> Verse 5, here's what he has to say about he and his people. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled turning aside from your commandments and rules. We have not listened to your servants, the prophets, who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Daniel makes it clear. He confesses and he admits that the people of Israel had failed to love God with all their heart, mind, and soul by sinning, doing wrong rebelling and acting wickedly. They fail to heed to the words of the prophets as they refuse to repent of their sins. Next, as Daniel acknowledged the righteousness of God, he admitted that the people of God had earned open public shame. He says, the whole world knows of our destruction. Verse 12, he says... That the public shame is so bad that for under the whole heaven, there has not been done anything like what has been done against Jerusalem. And then Daniel pushes in on the hard-heartedness of God's people in verse 13. He says that amidst all this calamity, we still fail to entreat the favor of God. Turn from our iniquities and to gain insight by truth. Though God had brought them to their knees, they still failed to repent and return to God. So Daniel admits the sins of his people and owns the sin of his people. This, this, this beloved, is hard to do, but it is necessary to do. In multiple places throughout Scripture, we are told to confess our sins. As I studied this passage this week, and I was looking at this passage in its totality and, 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 and prayer, and, next, and then in a couple of weeks we'll look at how God answers the prayer. I could, I, I just, my mind kept running back to James 5.13. I learned this from the King James Version, and it says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. 
The English Standard Version says, the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it's working. I love that. What a wonderful truth. The only problem for us is that those words are only half of the verse. The first half of the verse says this, therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. Then it says the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. Do you confess your sins to God? Here's a harder question. Do you confess your sins to other believers? And then James, it says we ought to confess our sins. Why? So that they can pray for us. Maybe the reason you are stuck in your sin is because you are keeping that sin private. And you don't have other saints to storm the gates of heaven on your behalf and ask for your deliverance and your freedom. Oh, let me be honest with you. I don't want to do this. I don't want y'all all up in my business. Mm-mm, mm-mm. I want y'all to have a good opinion of y'all's pastor. You know, us pastors, we don't struggle with sin, right? We, child of, children of God, are called, we are commanded to confess our sins to one another. And to not do it then becomes sin. Before we leave this point, we must observe that Daniel was not just confessing his own personal sin. He was confessing the sins of an entire people. He was an intercessor. He interceded on behalf of a rebellious people. See, Daniel understood that when one part of the body is sick, the whole body is sick. Though Daniel was faithful and righteous, he felt as sin sick as the rest of the people. And I believe this to be a model for how we ought to pray. We ought to intercede for the entire body of Christ. We ought to admit and own the sin of the body. Daniel Jeremiah, a pastor from California, when he was preaching this text, he says, we ought to be, when we pray together, we ought to pray corporately. Lord, forgive us for adultery. Excuse me? <laughs> Lord, forgive us for lying and for cheating, and for backbiting, and for stealing. Corporate sin. Finally, in this pattern of Daniel's prayer, it's after acknowledgement of God's character and after admission of sin against God that he actually begins to ask God for mercy. Verse 16 O Lord, according to all your righteous acts, let your anger and wrath turn away from your city, Jerusalem. Verse 17, listen to the prayer of your servant and to his pleas for mercy. And for your own sake, O Lord, make your face to shine upon your sanctuary, which is desolate. Verse 18, O my God, 
Incline your ear and hear. Open the eyes, open your eyes and see our desolations, the city that is called by your name. For we do not present our pleas before you because of your righteousness, but because of your great mercy. That's a wonderful phrase. That's a wonderful sentence. That's why we come to God. That's why we ask him to answer our prayers, not because of who we are, but because of who he is. We don't deserve anything from God. We are unworthy to stand before the presence of God and ask any of, anything of him on our own merit. The only reason God should act on our behalf at all is because of who he is. Though our merit has earned us nothing before, a holy and righteous God, there is someone whose merit we can go before God. We have an advocate, and his name is Jesus Christ. And it is because of Christ, and it is through Christ, and in the name of Christ, and on the authority of Christ, that we can go before God and make our request known to the Father. Beloved, what Daniel prays here for his people is what is needed for all people. Beloved, the greatest need of every human being on earth is forgiveness. We, we all, we, we, we have in, uh, among us all, and in, in, in our world, we have activists who, who, who want justice. Amen. Amen. Oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. We want to end poverty and world hunger. We want a, a democracy around the world. We, we want all these things for the world to make the world a better place. But the greatest need of all people on the earth is forgiveness from a holy God. The root cause of every problem on the earth is sin. And what we deserve is punishment for our sin. That's the bad news. But I didn't, God didn't call me to give just bad news. I'm a good news preacher. Here's the good news. For great sinners, there is great mercy from a great God. I need my Pentecostals right now. For great, I think I will. For great sinners, there is great mercy from a great God. Friend, this morning you stand in need of God's mercy this morning. You need God to turn away from the wrath that hangs over your head. Then the only way to avert that wrath, friend, is through forgiveness. And that path to forgiveness runs straight through Jesus Christ. 
The only way for us to be forgiven of our great sin and to receive this great mercy from a great God is to look to Jesus who died the death, took our punishment, and, and, and by going to a cross and dying for our sin, that same Jesus was buried, and that same Jesus rose victoriously from the grave, and the promise that we have is if we believe in him, we will be saved. And so this morning, if you are in need of forgiveness, the, the, the directive for us is run to the cross. That's a word not just for unbelievers, but that's a word for believers as well. What we need is to, we need God's mercy. The good news is that that same God stands ready to forgive us of every sin, every wrong, and every transgression. And if we run to this merciful God and plead for his mercy and repent of our sins, we have this wonderful truth that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. God pronounces, pronounces guilty sinners not guilty based on the blood of his son. Worship team, you can come back. Beloved, the good news for us this morning is God's mercy is abundant. Oh, what a Savior. Are you hurting and broken within? Overwhelmed by the weight of your sin, Jesus is calling. Oh, come to the altar. The Father's arms are open wide. As we prepare to respond in song, I want us to take some time now to respond first by praying. And I want us this morning to follow Daniel's pattern of praying. Let's acknowledge God's character. And then let's admit our sin against this God then let's ask for God's mercy and intervention. I'm going to ask you to pray individually, silently to God first, and then I'll come and close us. Let's pray.